Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Activist Lawyer. Thank you very much for joining us again. I am here today on a lovely, it's always sunny when I'm in this studio, funny enough, and I'm in our Granite Podcast studio in Newry City, and today I am joined by Angus Kelly. Hi, Angus. How's it going? How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. We have a lot to talk about today and we've already had a few good chats with a bit in common yep, haven't gone yep, to Galway before yep, yep. Um, for our studies so we'll get to that a little bit but just by way of introduction to our listeners and um, this is quite quite long but too, too long sounds pompous <laughs> it as I does said to you not before. sound pompous it sounds extremely impressive I look at this and I think where did I go wrong so first and foremost um, we'll introduce you as the executive director of the Irish Rule of Law um, International which is an initiative of the Law Society of Ireland, the Bar of Ireland and the Law Society of Northern Ireland which is fantastic and the Bar of Northern Ireland too so that's fantastic, dedicated to promoting the rule of law so perfect fit for this podcast and the organisation seeks to harness the skills of Irish and Northern Irish lawyers in using the law as a means of tackling global injustice and empowering all people to live in a society free from inequality, corruption and conflict so we'll talk a little bit more about that but prior to taking up that position you have a huge, uh, vast experience working in international settings covering war crimes, organised crime cases, including the Prosecutor's Office of Bosnia and Herzegovina, the Special Prosecutor's Office in Kosovo, and you worked as a defence lawyer at the UN-run Extraordinary Chambers of the Courts in Cambodia, the ECCC, often known as the Khmer Rouge Tribunal. You worked with the European Union in Libya on criminal justice matters and you're also a member of uh, the Legal Action Committee of an organisation that I've been looking up recently, so it's great to have you here about that too, which is GLAN, the Global Legal Action Network. You went to University College Cork and Victoria University in Wellington, New Zealand and the Irish Centre of Human Rights at my old place, the National (laughs) University of Ireland, Galway. So we had a wee chat there about Galway. So you have also been admitted to practice in five jurisdictions. Those are Ireland, New Zealand, England and Wales, Cambodia and Northern Ireland. So thank you again for joining us today. So I think um, what we'll do first and foremost, I guess with our listeners, we've discovered that people are interested in finding out more about um, our guest background so maybe take us a little bit back in time about maybe why you wanted to study law I suppose bringing us right up to your current position we'll talk a little bit more about your substantive work in the middle yeah I suppose um why did I want to become a lawyer I come from a line of medical people Uh, my dad was a doctor my granddad was a doctor Uh, two of my uncles two of my aunts about five of my cousins, my brother, oh. my mother's a radiographer, my sister-in-law's a nurse. Uh, so there's a lot of medical people in my family. Um, and uh, I suppose that I liked English and history in school and I liked, uh, my friends would regularly quote me even now in our early 40s when I walk into the bar or the pub, they'd say debatable and controversial because he's always looking for an argument about <laughs> something. Um, but yeah, so I suppose I enjoyed that. And I used to go down, my dad used to give... Uh, medical legal evidence in the courts. So when the High Court came to Galway or in Circuit Court, and he'd be he'd be doing reports and stuff. So mm-hmm. I would have gone in to watch him, and I always liked the atmosphere, and I liked going to court, and I was interested in debate, and I was in debating both in Irish and in English. And so you know, it was it was something that I uh, was interested in, and I liked, I suppose, those 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 subjects in school, English and, and history in particular, which kind of lead into it. And yeah, yeah so I, I went to to Cork and studied it. I actually, to be frank, I missed. I wanted to go to UCD, and I missed. Uh, I was do I was repeating my leaving cert for about 
uh, three weeks and I got rechecks done and I got marked up and I got marked up 10 points and I needed 15 points to get into UCD. So I got into core UCC and I mulled over for a few days. And the prospect of repeating one's leaving cert is never a great one for anyone. Oh, no. Uh, and it was all even weirder for me because I'd been in boarding school and I was coming back to live in Galway and I wasn't going to play any sport, which I still loved doing and I loved even more then. And uh, so, but I went to Cork and it was the best decision I ever made. And people go, why? And I, uh, people go, why do you think that? And I says, well, if I'd have gone to Dublin, I just would have hung out with guys from home or from boarding school that I knew very well. I would have hung out the same group of people in a city I knew pretty well because I was in boarding school near Dublin. And Dublin is, is, you know, the capital of the yeah. Republic. So, so I would have ended up there at some stage, probably. And instead, I went to Cork, which is a place that I still love very much. My brother lives there. I have an immense amount of friends there. I have a great grow for UCC. So, mm-hmm. it was it was the best decision ever made. I have to say, good. That's and a great law school. I have to say as well, great lectures and great university and great atmosphere. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I think we'll have a, a guest from the law faculty coming on to join us very soon. So that's fantastic. But then you did your masters in NUIG. That was the masters in human rights law. Was that the one connected to Queens or that? No, it was the it was the same. Well, there was an inter inter. How would you one pr- an introductory phrase to that, which was there was an introductory. Apologies, there was an introductory phrase uh, as regards to that, which was I went, uh, I worked um, in a, a law firm, kind of as a gopher, you know, compiling briefs and looking at v- e- videos of evidence and stuff yeah. like that in Dublin for a year, as I s- saved money to go travelling, and I went to New Zealand for four months, but I ended up staying four years. As you do. As you do. As you do. Um, and basically that came from a, a funny scenario of um, having a row with my father, my God rest his soul, um, about him saying that I should come home and I should either finish my, uh, I'd done some of the FE1s to become a solicitor or do the bar. And me saying, no, I'm not coming home. And he was like, well, then you should do them over there. There was a lot more, it was a more heated conversation than that. Um <laughs> And then the next day, uh, a, a lady walked into the bar and paid for her drinks with a credit card which had the Law Society of Ireland Black Hole Place across the front of it. And I said to her, you're a long way from Black Hole Place. And she started laughing at me and we started having a chat. And I said to her, actually, I was just on the internet last night and I see there's an agreement between the Law Society of New Zealand and the Law Society of Ireland as regards a um, cross-qualification. And she started laughing. She says, you know, I was the first person to ever do that. And that lady, Therese Singleton, be kind of became my mentor. I suppose in some ways she still is. She still, when we have chats via message or on the phone or whatever, she's still uh, giving me uh, hassle because she's a, f- a mighty woman, as they say at West. And uh, <laughs> she'd be taking none of my messing. So uh, I have a lot to, I, I owe her and her husband Justin a lot because they helped me out a lot at that time. And so I qualified there and the, pos- the professions are fused there. Um, mm. So you do have what they call barrister souls, but everyone qualifies together. Everyone does the same studies okay. and, and the rights of audience and everything are the same. So it's a, a very similar system to our systems on this island, mm-hmm. but very, but and very far away, obviously, but uh, but a little bit different as well. And also issues about because of the treaty between the indigenous people between the Maori and the and uh, the British government back in 1845 and the land issues mean that it has its own peculiarities which are very Mm. interesting it's an amazing country though I have to say of all the countries I've lived it's my favourite it's incredibly beautiful the people are great Um, it's a great way of life and have yeah a big uh, aroha nui as they say big love for the place yeah Yeah. and so much um, in common with Ireland my brother's over there actually in New Zealand just to shout out to him but it's absolutely (laughs) um, I can't wait to visit but um, so you're also a member of the Legal Action Committee of the Global Legal Action Network, GLAN, that I mentioned at the beginning. And this is an organisation that we actually, just when we were doing research um, for activist lawyer and getting to grips with what's going on in terms of various other, I suppose, areas of law, 
we came across Glam and I was reading it and I recognised one or two of the people that are just from Galway days as well. Galway yeah. is a, a great place. So how are you involved in that or is that something that can tie in with your current work? Well, I'm actually on the Legal Action Committee, so I'm... Uh, I'm kind of, it's a, a volunteer position, if you will, and I just kind of feed in for, for bits and pieces on cases mm-hmm. as needed. Um, I, my, um, you know, you've incredibly interesting, uh, much more qualified and much more intelligent people working on a lot of their, their cases. But they're an amazing organisation. Uh, they're based in Agoa. They used to be in, in London, but then they still have an office in London. But they have basically lawyers working all over the world on strategic litigation cases, everything from cotton production using forced labour in Uzbekistan to massive big climate change cases representing a, a number of Portuguese children uh, that's going to the uh, to Europe um, and you know like looking at um, land being taken off uh, poor people in, in the Caribbean um, to looking at the situation in the Philippines to looking at the situation in Bahrain amazing work Gorodo Queen the, the director is, uh, is a good friend of mine and he's a, a great guy and he, the team him and Jerry and Valentin and the rest of the team are doing amazing work and I'm actually hoping to see a few of them this weekend when I go down to Galway um, hopefully so yeah they, you know Glan is amazing work and that, that side of things as I said the, the environmental the climate change the business human rights sort of things I think that is really really interesting and really really powerful and really really useful for for lawyers to get involved in that Mm -hmm. arena and um, yeah there's a lot of movement in that regard and I would have a go look at Glon's uh, website they do really really amazing so that's the Global Legal Action Network definitely one to watch so people normally I think make the choice between travel or staying here to do their so you know qualify or do extra exams or wait till that's over but really what struck me with you is you you really did both um and you know you traveled extensively so there you are you qualified in New Zealand what was what steps did you take next or you know did you intend to come home settle down here or how did you move into other well, well I, came, I, I came home then because, you know, I was just talking to the very nice lady, Australian lady at reception, the Bar Council in Northern Ireland yesterday about this. I came, she said to me, why did you leave? And I says, I honestly left after four years because I knew if I stayed any longer, I'd never have left. Yeah, really. And I went back there in 2019. I, I kind of took, uh, come back to this probably later on, I t- kind of took a year out while I was doing some uh, work, some pro bono work with Glan. Um, but I travelled for a year after I finished in, in Libya, Tunisia. Um, and I went back to New Zealand for the first time in 13 years and I, sp- I spent um, 31 nights there I think a friend of mine who was the, one of the original five of us that went down there we went back and he did two weeks of it and I spent the rest of it on my own but of the 31 nights I spent there 28 of them I spent with friends in various places all around the North <laughs> Island and I ended the trip going I love this country so much yeah. so I still a part of me is a little bit sad I left but mm. I, I left because one of the things that makes New Zealand amazing is it's so far away from everywhere yeah. and that makes it very unique. It's the last place, apart from Antarctica, but I suppose the last really habitable place that was inhabited by humans in the, in the 11th or 12th century. So, you know, it's a very, very special place, but it's very far away from everywhere. And I knew that I wanted to see more places and visit more places, so I came back to Ireland, um, and I did my, after having qualified in New Zealand um, and become a barrister and solicitor there, I cross-qualified. I did the QLTTs, the Qualified Lawyers Transfer Tests at the Law Society and I started working as a solicitor in Galway in Blake and Kenny Solicitors where I stayed for mm. two years and I was doing general practice a bit, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, everything okay. from 
fisheries cases to to buying and selling houses to probate to kind of minor criminal matters to family law to judicial review a bit of everything and it was amazing i love the place i still do i still meet a lot of my former colleagues there for a cup of tea or for lunch or whatever and my former boss michael malloy is an amazing guy so i was very very lucky i loved that place i still do amazing atmosphere in that office so and then i and but while i was there i had the good fortune to to go to nuig and this was very easy for me i still call it ucg because i'm I'm that old, and um, that to me, uh, it's UCG. And UCG? What? Yeah, yeah, well, you see, um, I, I think UCG is I a obviously just got in there when it was... <laughs> well, UCG is a much better name, in my mind, to NUIG. It's, too many, yeah. it's a letter too far, like yeah, UCC, yeah. UCG, UCG. It sounds better <laughs> to me, but anyway, um, that's my bias, potentially. But yeah. I, I had the good fortune that my boss, Michael, who I mentioned, was very... O- I said, look, Michael, I want to do this master's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically meant that I would have to... To, to go over, to cross, it was only across the bridge because we were on St. Francis Street and it was just over the, br- sa- over the Salmon Weir Bridge, the yes. Centre of Human Rights, just by the courthouse That's there, right. over the, by the cathedral. Um, so I'd slip over there for my lectures and come back to work and I was working less hours during the week and I remember saying to him, um, you should cut me, you should cut my pay. And he said, no, I'm not cutting your pay. And I said, but I'm working less hours, Michael. And he's like, no, you're going doing that. And there's never, and I always, like m- many things, he was very wise and it gave me a lot of wisdom over the years, but uh, that one, um, you know, not just that one, but yeah. it, that held to me that he was, that was his way. He was, a, he was and is a very decent man. That is uh, decent. Yeah. yeah. So, Especially so when you're, you're trying to balance both, I suppose, sure, with work. Sure. And that's fantastic. And then, so how long did that, that took? Two years was it? No, I did it over a year because I did it as a full time, and that's so I was uh, and and you know I was just talking to to uh, Professor Shane Darcy, who works the Irish Centre for Human Rights the other day about this, um, because I was back home in Galway. And a little bit of me regrets that I didn't get to go go to a lot of the lunchtime lectures and the extra lectures I could have done if I was a full time Mm -hmm. student. But that being said, I wouldn't have got the hands on experience in a domestic setting, and I always when. And I know we we discussed beforehand potentially advice to people. One of the things I would always say to people, to young lawyers, if they want to if they want to work internationally, is go work in your domestic system for a few years if mm-hmm. you can, because it will give you skills. It will give you a reality check. It will also help you understand how a system works. And when you're working in fragile countries where the systems don't work as well, it gives you a a foundation. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So I went, I, di- I did my master's and then I went over to England. I basically, mm-hmm. like a lot of people in this field, like a lot of people in life, I kind of, uh, I had to go do an internship for free. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. People think thought it was crazy. You've given up a good job as a solicitor um, to work to go work for free. Um, but I went over there to work for a firm uh, that uh, that took a that took judicial review case, a lot of judicial review cases, mm-hmm. domestic stuff, um, within the UK, but also international stuff. So I did a lot of work in Iraq and Palestine, um, in particular. Okay, so that was an internship. With that was that with an organisation or no? It was with a law firm. It was a law firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, and tell us a little bit more. Some of those cases sound quite interesting, and I suppose they're quite close to home um, in terms of when we think about here and then obviously very much an international setting too so how did you find that work? Um, it was really interesting it was kind of my first non-academic uh, introduction to, in, uh, to the international world even though it was very much focused on kind of British domestic uh, legislation because we were looking at judicial review of, of government actions by um, by for instance licensing authorities on weapon sales um, but also uh, the court martial system in the British Army and how that was working um, and decisions that were made by the prosecuting authorities there and then that led on to a public inquiry so the firm was based in Birmingham but I went down to London and I was in London for a year working um, at the Bahamusa inquiry so yeah Gosh right so that gave you a really good footing I suppose to get 
you know, build your I suppose, portfolio and experience in terms of international law. Was that internship then what opened, uh, you know, opened the door for you to go and work in Cambodia and the other countries that you... Well, you see, I was really lucky in that. And, you know, this is always the risk one takes. But, you know, it's a kind of, uh, it's a calculated risk, if you will, will, that I said, look, I'll go over there, I'll do the internship. And the plan was to then go and do, uh, to work in Palestine. And I had an internship lined up there. Um, and I would do this one temporarily just to get a mm-hmm. bit of experience. But then I got offered a job and I mulled over that a lot. And I still, to my dying day, I think I w- part of me will always be a bit sad that I haven't got to live and work in Palestine mm-hmm. because it's a place that, I, you know, the situation there um, is something that affects me on a daily basis. I think about it very, yeah. I think about it regularly. I think about it, uh, not just Palestine, other places as well, mm-hmm. p- places like the Western Sahara, like West Papua, like a lot of... Uh, uh, conflict and post-conflict zones there, you know, having lived and having had the good fortune to visit at those pla- some of those places and live in some of those pl- and places like that. Uh, the things that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. So so I, I got after, I think it was six or seven weeks, I got offered a job there. So I took the job. You know, I mulled over a lot, but I took the job because I thought, well, this will give me the capacity to do, you know, as you've just mentioned, to move on and do mm-hmm. other things at a later date. So I, you know, I spent two years there and then I moved to Bosnia. So, okay. yeah. And how, so when you went to Bosnia, you worked with the special prosecutor's office? Well, it was the, yeah, the, the, pres- uh, it was the, the, the state prosecutor's office just focused on the war crimes office. So I was working on war crimes in Bosnia. So um, basically the system was set up there. Um, it's actually Paddy Ashton, who was the, the high rep. Um, it was, you know, born just up the road from where we are now. Um, and he, wa- he had said there was a lot of, so, you know, a lot of people would have heard of... Uh, what, what a lot, what's colloquially called the Hague Tribunal, but the International Criminal Tribunal mm-hmm. for the former Yugoslavia, where a lot of people, a lot of very famous figures, political and military, and civilian, also were tried um, across the wars from the wars in Croatia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Macedonia, um, and that was the high level guys. Now at the start, they did some lower and medium level people, mostly, and I say guys, and that most of them, you know, over ninety percent of them were men. Um, uh, but there was no one doing the mid-ranking guys mm-hmm. and the lower-level guys. So Paddy Ashton, in his wisdom, I think it was great wisdom and bravery, pushed really hard for a, a state court to be set up in Bosnia. Bosnia is a very fractured country; it still is, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I was there a few weeks ago, and I love the place. Amazing! It's an amazing place. I really deeply love the place, and I have amazing friends there. Um, but it's a very troubled place. You know, one of my friends just said to me the other day. She said, "I hadn't been back in six years," and she said to me. How do you find it being back? And I said, it's great, it's great to see you all. And she said, what do you think of the place? And I said, well, it looks the same. And she said, that's kind of worrying though, isn't it? And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. Because I've you know, also been recently enough to Belgrade and to Pristina and to Croatia. And those places have changed. Yeah, now, but it be- hasn't. But it hasn't. And that worries it me a lot. Worrying. Yeah. So, but Bosnia was amazing. I worked um, on a team. My boss was an American lawyer. I worked with another American lawyer with um, with uh, local colleagues. Um, we had investigators from from um, England and Switzerland, um, and it was great. We did, um, you know, to say it's great, I suppose it's probably a bad choice of words. But it was amazingly interesting. It was yeah. very troubling, though. We were investigating. Um, crimes from 1995 in Srebrenica from the genocide. So we're okay. doing crimes against humanity, war crimes, Quite and intense, genocide yeah. cases. So and it was very much, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit different from our systems on our island in that it was more more like the American system. And the Americans had brought in that system. Well, the international community had brought in that system. So we were involved from the initiation of the case. Okay. So the whole way running through it and planning the whole investigation mm-hmm. and ordering the police what to do. 
um, and our investigative team as well. So really fascinating. And then also liaising with The Hague, with the tribunal in The Hague and the teams up there working on this. It's really yeah. interesting and getting to meet people from I suppose, yep. all backgrounds. Yep. So then did that lead into you? Um, how did you get involved then in Cambodia? Because I'd say that was probably as intense. And Yeah, well, uh, there was Kosovo in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kosovo, uh, basically the reason I left Bosnia, I still think of all my, uh, you know, the atmosphere in, in Galway was amazing. Um, Bosnia was probably my favourite job, I have to say, in many ways, because it was really tangible and functional and it was a great place to live and it was, uh, you know, learning a lot. Um, but we were there at the grace and favour of the Bosnian state. So we were employees of the Bosnian state, but our wages were paid by the international community. I see. But um, there was a movement on to get rid of us. Basically, a lot of the powers that be, the justice sector, the criminal justice sector, just sector in general, but the criminal justice sector in particular is a very um, sensitive topic in any jurisdiction. Mm. And having foreigners sitting amidst them, like imagine if there was a load of people from yeah. Vanuatu or Kiribati or wherever <laughs> sitting in, in the, the PPS in Belfast mm. or in the DPP's office in Dublin or in the CPS in London, people wouldn't be particularly happy about it. So it was a very yeah. sensitive topic. Absolutely. But in a fractured state with all kinds of issues, like in Bosnia, the idea, in many ways, I think the idea was that we were less... It was less problematic. It was less easier to to threaten us, et cetera, et cetera, to corrupt us in whatever form that might come. But there was big pressure internally from the political leaders in Bosnia to get rid of us. They'd already got rid of the equivalence of us in the corruption side of the house, and they wanted to get rid of us in the war crime side of the house. And, of course, you know, in a lot of these situations, the people who are involved in, in corruption and organized crime are also similar people who are involved in war crimes laterally. Mm-hmm. So there's a big relationship. And in that transfer over, you'll see that in conflict and post-conflict zones around the world. So I basically jumped before I was pushed because I knew the mandate was coming to an end. Um, so in t- you know, and I'd been there for two and a half years. So towards the end of 2012, I moved to Kosovo. Um, I moved down to work for the European Union Rule of Law Mission in Kosovo. It's a very long title. It's yeah. often elong- or shortened rather to ULEX. ULEX. And I worked at the Special Prosecutor's Office. Um, and that was an amazing experience as well. Uh, you know, very similar issues in many ways. A very s- it was in the same country for, you know, for nearly um, 70 years in essence. So in that country, the former Yugoslavia's various formats. It was a kingdom beforehand, but... Um, so there was a lot of similar issues, but I wasn't just doing war crimes there, I was also doing organised crime. So that gave it a very... Corruption, okay. organised crime, terrorism, war crimes, so that gave it a very different flavour. Um, uh, yeah, so, like, I worked on a lot of really interesting cases there. You know, I mentioned the war crimes uh, cases in, in mm-hmm. Bosnia, which were very affecting and troubling. I worked on war crimes cases in Kosovo as well, um, very affecting and troubling. Um, much like in Bosnia, I think one of the biggest issues that it was one of the most troubling issues in many ways was the fact that you knew who had committed the crimes and you could tell yeah. you knew where the people who'd done it were, but because of the vagaries of of extradition or non extradition between mm-hmm. the former state the states and the former Yugoslavia, there's no prospect of an extradition. What made it even more complicated in, in Kosovo was the fact that Kosovo, under the old Yugoslav system, was a special administrative region, um, mm-hmm. like Vojvodina, as part of Serbia. So while Bosnia was a separate republic and, and therefore seceded and was recognised as a state, Kosovo has not been recognised by Serbia, which it was previously part of, nor by half of the international community. So about mm-hmm. 100 countries recognise Kosovo and 100 countries don't recognise Kosovo. And that created, um, made things even more complicated mm-hmm. than normal. So 
on war crimes I mentioned that was difficult. Um, that was also difficult in Bosnia, in fairness. But on you know I did a lot of organized crime cases. I worked on the medics cases, uh, which involved organ trafficking, um, and we had witnesses, uh, people giving inter- uh, giving us evidence from eighteen different jurisdictions. I think was the number we came to. So and then half of those countries didn't recognize Kosovo. So then you'd have to be running documentation mm-hmm. through the UN because they had the the authority. They were recognized by those states as being the authoritative force within yeah. Kosovo. So just very bureaucratic at times. So much ready. I'm just thinking it's so yeah, complex yeah. in yeah. terms of, you know, getting the work done. And I guess that's the reason why these the tribunals, they go on for so long as well when you have that international element there. And as you said, different people working on it from different backgrounds. It sounds like it also quells your kind of your thirst or your, you know, your love of history as well, because yeah. you obviously know a lot about the background. Obviously, you have to when well, you're working in try it. To, but try I to. guess um, that's what makes it interesting too in terms of, you know, you're kind of ticking sure. both boxes as such. It's no surprise then that you continue to work in the international law arena and very much in a hands-on way here, I suppose. I'm so interested in finding out more about your role with the Irish Rule of Law International. Yeah, well, I'm very lucky to, to be able to do that. Although, you know, uh, I don't I do a lot of... Um, I probably don't do as much law as I would like. Um, one of the things I miss actually doing casework and I practicing, won't practicing. Yeah, practicing. I won't lie about that. You know, it's kind of an, an open. Can you fit it in? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's only so many hours in the day, but uh, but I d- you know I do. I'm very enthusiastic. Yeah. and I find that really interesting. Um, and in an ideal world, that's something that I would get back to a bit later on. But um, but the organisation is it basically was set up. It, it flows from the work of. Uh, a lot of people who, um, lawyers mostly down in Dublin, who had kind of family and cultural connections to South Africa, um, particularly Michael Irvine and Mr. Justice Barneville, who were, you know, down in Dublin, who kind of uh, birthed the, the child that is IRLI um, and um, did work with uh, upskilling of lawyers from historically disadvantaged backgrounds, mostly black lawyers in, in South Africa in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, the organization grew and then it was there was a structure put on it in 2007 and then in 2009 it was set up as a company limited by guarantee and um, a charity um, under the auspices of the Law Study of Ireland and the Bar of Ireland, um, who we've always had great support from. Where our offices are in the distillery building where a lot of the barristers are based in Dublin. Um, and then we have, we've had you know, great assistance with the Law Society over the years, you know, both in, in benefit and kind, if you will, for want of a better term, but also financially. Um, and then in 2015, the Law Society of Northern Ireland, the Bar of Northern Ireland, um, joined the organisation um, as kind of foundational partners, if you will. So that project in South Africa, upskilling lawyers and, and the kind of commercial side of things and drafting, I, I sit in some of the meetings and then I, I think about, I kind of a, a little bit lost, I won't lie, but then I think of, oh, yes, I remember that one from commercial mm-hmm. law class in 1999 <laughs> or uh, company law class that in 2000. Nugget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um uh, that's uh, uh, we should be doing that in person, and some of our, our our trainers who are solicitors and barristers in the island of Ireland will go down and do that training uh, course. But we've had to move it online because of the vagaries of the pandemic. Sure. Um, and we've great assistance there from from Matheson, um, mm-hmm. who sponsor that uh, that program and, and help us there. Um, and um, then we have another project in our biggest project is in Malawi, where we have six lawyers on the ground working there. We have a lawyer. It's an access to justice uh, uh, program that's funded by the Irish Embassy in Malawi, so by Irish Aid, by the Department of Foreign Affairs. Um, and it previously was funded also by the European Union. 
Um, and that does work on a whole host of fields and on access to justice kind of things. We have a lawyer embedded with the Director of Public Prosecutions, mm-hmm. one working with the um, Legal Aid Bureau, the Defence, uh, one working with the Judiciary, one working with the Malawi Police Service, uh, one working, um, doing a lot of kind of office stuff, but also working a lot on child diversion, so taking kids out of the criminal justice system and trying to upskill them and take them out of you know adult prisons, et cetera, et cetera, or... or uh, Children's institu- reformatory mm-hmm. institutions, um, and then we have our country program manager. Um, so they're working a lot on, you know, you know, w- w- people say, well, what kind of work are they doing? Well, things like, you know, there's an issue in certain parts of Malawi, women being uh, imprisoned for infanticide for mm-hmm. for killing their own child when a lot of the time they've had a miscarriage or a stillborn yeah, child. Gosh. And then they're put in prison, and then they don't have proper representation, and there's issues with lack of representation. And you know, we've like worked on by my amazing colleagues down in the team in Malawi have got those people those ladies out of prison and a lot of them are very you know young teenagers you know um, girls or you know yeah. some young women with girls and they've very great suspicions of the authorities etc cetera, etc cetera, and they're not great well educated and we do a lot of work on, on bail applications for amandis who've been charged with homicide but also other crimes some of them have been in prison for many many years five six seven eight years do a lot of work also then on upskilling the police prosecutors so a bit like what the magistrates court used to be here and what the district mm-hmm. court still is in, in the Republic in that the police do the prosecutions, but not just on relatively minor offences, yeah. on serious offences, right up to sexual assault and rape. So it's upskilling those, those um, training them, the, the, pro- the police prosecutors, also working with the magistrates to give them extra training Gosh. and assistance. Um, and then, yeah, and doing a lot of what we call camp courts where they go to the, the, they get the judges to go to the prison and deal with a lot of these Romandis who've been in prison for very, for several years. So really amazing work. That really amazing work. Really hands on and obviously a very effective organisation. What really strikes me though is that it's made up of lawyers from across this island. Yeah. How important do you think that is in terms of having that kind of blend of experience and, you know, kind of centralising our, our skills and our, our talent yeah. and harness in it in one place when it comes to that type of work well you know as i just mentioned i was up i go up uh i go up every month i come up to belfast every month um and meet up with our colleagues from the bar and the, the law study and also with the psni and um, the, the tanzania project where we are working again it's funded by uh, irish aid through the um the irish embassy in in dar salaam uh, but that um is utilizing there's kind of two strands to it one is uh, an in uh, is run by our local colleagues the children's dignity forum cdf um, but and then the second side is usually the experience, the expertise and knowledge of, of of criminal justice actors here. So judiciary and police in particular from both the Republic and from mm-hmm. Northern Ireland. Um, and so, for instance, I've gone over to Tanzania now. I haven't been over in nearly two years because of COVID again. Yeah. But we're going to have a conference, and there's going to be virtual uh, some of the judges and uh, police officers from this part of the world going in, uh, you know, speaking virtually to the participants of the conferences. And then also, we've had the police over here um, two years ago, just before the pandemic. So that that cross border uh, element is very very important. It's also very I think it's in- important internally for us as legal professionals across the island. In my own view, there's not enough interaction between the legal professionals across the island so as yeah. part of that ac- action and you know there's a lot of enthusiasm both in the, the law side in the bar in Dublin but also the law side in the bar in Belfast to do that so it's really helpful and we've great um, assistance from all the various criminal justice actors in the wider legal community mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really important and there's immense possibilities um, you know uh, the Zambia project hopefully we're going to start later this year which um, will be funded by um, 
the Foreign Commonwealth Development Office, in essence, through their Ro- Rule of Law Expertise UK fund that's managed by Advocates for International Development, who are the much bigger um, version of IRLI in Britain, mm-hmm. um, and they're great colleagues and partners and, and have helped to us. So that project is, again, using experiences from actors both in Republic and Northern Fantastic. Ireland. And it's also utilising the experience of colleagues and uh, the work we've been doing on child diversion in Malawi because there's a big issue in Zambia with mm-hmm. uh, child justice, with children going to prisons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's kind of tying up or drawing, joining up those dots, if you will, between the various actors. As regards, you know, the, the question I suppose I'm being very long with is as usually the case. I'm afraid I'm trying to speak slowly though. You're doing fine. Um, <laughs> my mother will be very. She will be listening to this and give me um, say I'm, I sound like a turkey cock because I'm speaking too quickly. But um, I think the space, if you want to call it the international law space, the pro bono space, is something that needs to be mined. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the legal f- law firms in. Um, in Britain or in the US or in Australia, there's a there's a big history like there is on this island of of pro bono work by lawyers, yeah. but they've also got a big. They're doing a lot of it internationally, and I think that's something we need to mine and utilize. Um, I also think that there's a lot of possibilities here. There's the pro bono pledge in the, the Republic, which Free Legal Aid Center. Uh, um, we're heavily involved, Rachel Powers, it's in our board of directors, yeah. are heavily involved in putting that together, and that's an aspirational target for lawyers. In and I think it's pro bono week as well, isn't okay. it, this week, ah, yeah, where yeah. we had um, um, the pills, the yeah, two guys yeah. from pills on, talking yeah. about that too, working yeah, closely yeah. with pro bono um, yeah. work from corporate um, law firms too, so yeah. Exactly. So, and like, you know, I, I mentioned that Zambia project, that's done mm-hmm. in conjunction with DLA Piper, who've just opened yes. a big office relatively recently in Dublin, they've a big, right. they're a big international firm, they're working with us on the, on the Zambia project. Um, so, and then, Hopefully, uh, no, not hopefully. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be. I've already given some talks to some of the uh, some of the firms um, uh, around the island, and I'm going to talk to more of them about getting involved in doing pro bono work with us. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's immense possibilities, but also it comes back to the ability to manage those projects, yeah. and that's one of the things we're going to we're going to have to try and f- uh, we can put in place lots of potential projects and look at stuff, but we also need to find a way of managing those projects internally within IRLA and having the funding to have people who can manage them. And, you know, that's doing good good work is great, mm-hmm. but you also need to do it properly and you need to have people in there to manage it so that it, it works properly. So that's yeah. going to be one of the things we're going to be trying to focus on the next period of time. So, yeah. Fantastic. What an organisation. And I just, I love the whole concept of the, the cross-border element too. And we, we talked a little bit before we come on about um, the importance of cross-qualification. And you'd mentioned, yeah. you know, there seems to be a decrease in students students coming from the north or vice versa mm. to study mm. and I, I do recognize that I think when I studied years and years and years ago there were quite a few of us did come from this part of the world down to Galway which yeah. is you know quite random it was random at the time but I do feel I agree with you it seems to be um getting less and less that that you know people do cross the border I yeah. guess to to study how important do you think it is for you know students or even institutes to have a cross-border relationship with other third le- level institutions Look, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I went forward for the election for the NUIG electoral authority there about six mm-hmm. months ago it was. And I, I did it very late in the day. I saw the ads on LinkedIn and I went, ah, maybe I should do that. And then I hummed yeah. and hawed about it. And then eventually I went, actually I will. And then my mother again, in fairness to her, was great for ringing around getting people. And then I was annoying loads of people. Sorry, <laughs> sorry everyone. Uh, with all the messages, asking them to vote for me. And I didn't get in, but I did it pretty well. I, I got down to the 13th council. There was a sixth out of 20 candidates. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I proposed was that there be a link up between 
uh, because Galway traditionally NUIG has an immense amount of uh, Donegal students, mm-hmm. famously for Donegal, Donegal Day. What was the bus called? <laughs> there was a big Fido Donald. That's it. <laughs> Fido Donald to go up to to, uh, go up to Donegal, but. Yeah. But I said, you know, NUIG should be looking seriously at doing uh, a, um, should be seriously talking to the powers that be up in Derry about mm. a cross-border kind of tie-up mm. because of that on the Western seaboard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, rivalry between Belfast and Derry and Derry people feel left behind a little bit like people in the West of Ireland often do. So, tie, you know, tie that up and, you know, um, yeah. it's obviously a lot of work with NUIG, obviously with the Gael Tukti, um, you know, particularly with, well, obviously with Connemara, but also with Mayo and, and Guidor, so, um, and Glen Cullum Kill. So, you know, yeah. I, I thought there was a lot of possibilities there. On the, the cro- I th- look, I always think that the amount of people that I know in Northern Ireland who've never been to, well, less of them actually, that haven't been to the Republic and vice, and way more people in the Republic have never been to Northern Ireland. I'm like, yeah, it's just up the road. It's not, uh, the people it's up there, the people times. up there or down there do not have horns. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. Um, all nice. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I just think that getting people to engage and talking to each other is really, really important and that would yeah. be what, you know, People talking is a good thing. It is. So the more people we get to talk, and on the education side, my understanding, and I'm far from an expert, but my understanding from talking to people, well, much more educated people than I, is that it's much more difficult for people from uh, from Northern Ireland to get into university in the Republic because of the vagaries of the A-levels the versus points. the Leaving Cert. Yeah. And that's, and I understand Trinity has a kind of dispensation of sorts that mm-hmm. that's why they have more students. There's also a big tradition going back many years for people going to Trinity. But I think it's more difficult. And that's mm-hmm. something, if I was in government, I would say, you know, education system, this would be something we should be concentrating yeah. on, getting that flow of students back and forth between the two jurisdictions would be very useful just for people to interact and engage. And Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you working in on kind of the international platform, that's a prime example of how this kind of cross-border and, uh, you know, cross... Uh, I suppose just from Northern Ireland or the island of Ireland speaking itself will c- facilitate that work and will contribute to it in a very positive way. Yeah. So you're very firmly positioned in your role now. What's next or what's next for the organisation, for you, or how do you th- see things going forward? You're well, so I can talk a little bit more authoritatively than my musings now in the education system, which I'm, <laughs> a, you know, Johnny come lately at best. Um you know, we're putting in place. We had an organisation review several months ago, which was uh, uh, funded by by the Department of Foreign Affairs, and we're very appreciative of that. And done by Azure um, Forum, who did some great work and continue to do some great work. So we're putting in place a lot of new uh, practice and procedures and, and documents. My colleagues are doing immense work on that, James Douglas in particular. Um, and so we're trying to get those, f- you know, building blocks Im- improved, and then where I would like us to go, ideally, I, I think it'd be great if we could, in the next few years, do a few more projects, what they'll mm-hmm. look like, open to question, we need to, you know, the board needs to discuss, the organisation sure. needs to discuss. It'd be great to do something in transitional justice, utilising the experiences of, you know, I was talking to the Bar and the Law Study about this the other day, or yesterday and the day before. The amount of incredible experience in this part of Ireland, in Northern Ireland, is immense. And if you look at the academic side of things, if you talk to international lawyers or international criminal law people, they'll all know about about the troubles. They'll all yeah. know about the situation. There's an immense amount of academic knowledge within the, the universities in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we could look at, hopefully, and do something on. Um, we'd like to improve and expand our program in Malawi. Um, and that's something we're working with the embassy, and they're yeah. being very helpful there. Uh, there's immense possibilities at the same time, you have to be, um, well, you can have great thoughts and plans. You have to kind of try and build strategically and, and not get too ahead of yourself. Yeah. Um, so, look, there's lots to do. There's lots going on. I'm very positive about it. I think 
I think there's a natural, honestly, one of the things I would say about traveling, and you know, um, I, I you know, I was Judge Mary Rose Geerty, um, who, who used to sit on her board mm. and has been hugely helpful, uh, particularly on the Tanzania project, would say that her experience being out in Tanzania really showed her that the immense um, interest, respect, love people have around the world because you're Irish, because you're from this island, you yeah. know. Um, and that, um, if you're Northern Irish, if you're Irish, that's a big bonus. And that allows you, when you're around the world, it gives you a big in a lot of people. People have a natural, um, they smile mm-hmm. when they hear you're from this island. Yeah. And that's something that w- is really useful. And, you know, I, I think that's something we need to mind. And we have minded, if you look around the mm-hmm. world in various fields, we have mined that, whether it be entertainment or literature Absolutely. or business. Yeah. And I think we need to do more of that in the law. Absolutely. And I think there's an immense amount of really great lawyers from our island. And it's one of the series we do on, on our social media accounts is profiling Irish and Northern Irish lawyers who are working, or uh, Irish Northern Irish lawyers and jurists, I should say, who are working or have worked abroad. And we do one every month. And part of the logic behind it is just to show our colleagues, the people we're representing across the various legal professional organisations in the island of Ireland, mm-hmm. but also the wider community. Look at all these amazing people that are yeah. doing, that have done or are doing this amazing work. So I think there's immense capacity there and immense uh, potential. Mm-hmm. And I would like to, and I know that's very ambitious and broad brushstroke and big picture and, you know, perhaps even maybe too ethereal. But I really honestly think there's something to that. And I think we as legal professionals from across the island can do a lot more in, in this yeah. space. And I'd like to see us do that. And I really, mm-hmm. I think, I think we can. Obviously, activism is part of your work as well. And I know you have a huge interest in it. And it's fantastic to have you on this podcast. And before we've spoken to people about, you know, the current challenges to the rule of law, mm. again, which is probably why this podcast was set up in the first place. Mm. It was really to kind of defend, not to defend, but to have people who are working in areas like yourself, human rights working with asylum and vulnerable people you know to really share their work obviously we have lots of listeners here who will be very interested in your story and your journey and I mean your experience is vast as we've said you have you know practiced in a general practice as a solicitor and you have also changed direction a number of times would you recommend your type of work this line of work working in international law public interest law and how would you um, advise somebody to get into it I would recommend it highly, um, but if you want to be a millionaire, probably not the wisest <laughs> option. Um, but if you want to have a really interesting, yeah. fulfilled uh, life, I would recommend it highly, um, not without its challenges. Um, and as I said, I think the area is not as developed on our island as, it w- as it's not as easy to do it here as it would be if you're in Britain or in, in other countries. Mm-hmm. And that's not just a size issue, obviously in sure. a bigger country, it's, it's easier usually for most, th- those kind of things. But I also think it's just, it's not as developed, but that gives us an opportunity, as I mentioned. I, I, I So I really enjoy it, but you know, I, I think the environmental side of things, the business and human rights side of things mm-hmm. um, is hugely interesting. And that's what I would, if people come, young lawyers do come to me yeah. and people are thinking about doing it, and I would say, they talk about international criminal law and I would say, look, very interesting. Couldn't mm-hmm. agree with you more. But if I was honestly advising you, I would look more at the business and human rights and environmental side of things because I think it's more affecting. Okay. And I think it's, uh, it's one of the coming things. And I think it's hugely um, important for us as a species on the planet mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we need to change a lot of things. Um, yeah. um, climate change is driving wars, it's driving um, uh, migration, it's driving massive changes in our lives 
and lawyers can be very involved in, in in addressing the issues that are that have come up and I think that would be part of the advice I would give kind of more generally is um, you have to take leaps of faith at times and just go for things and sometimes you learn you know I always say sometimes you learn this is something my father told me a long time ago sometimes you learn as much from the things you don't like and the things um, that don't go well as you do from the things that do because it teaches you what you like what you, what's important to you and that's okay too you don't have to take every step doesn't have to be a sure-footed correct one we all make mistakes it's okay to make mistakes yeah. then just more honestly more practically i would always say to people um languages if you can learn languages it's really helpful yeah. like the more languages you have the better and it doesn't matter if the language is yiddish or um aramaic or uh, syrian or uh, armenian or Chichewa languages broaden your mind they broaden your ability to think it make you think in a different way so the more languages you have you speak the better obviously if you speak a, 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 a one of the UN languages like mm. Hindi or Mandarin or Arabic or French or Spanish that's really beneficial um, and then yeah you know I would encourage people yeah to go for it and, and but I would also say something else that's important which is the fact that you know, a lot of lawyers can, when they talk to you about this, they're like, oh, it's amazing the stuff you're doing and I'm just doing this mm. and it's not that important. You're like, I am. And people go, oh, you're just plow-mossing me, Angus. And I go, no, honestly, I believe that if you believe in the rule of law, mm-hmm. if you believe in the system, it's like an ecosystem in the natural world. And every person is like a part of that ecosystem. Every type of law is a part of that ecosystem. And it has its part to play. And the lawyers working that, they have their part to play. So if you're doing, you know, Family law, which we were discussing earlier yeah. on, that's really tangible, uh-huh. important human rights issues at the most normal level. The most important country uh, courts on the island are the district court and the magistrates' courts because they're dealing with the most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they're not dealing with the high-level stuff that we're talking about, but they're dealing really honestly with people's issues every single Absolutely. day. Now, as they move through the system, you know, they get more complicated. You mm-hmm. look at those things, they become more difficult. But daily interaction for most people, mm-hmm. the most important issues, there are small ones at the bottom. So I think they're really important. And then also, like, you know, people work in the commercial field can say, oh, but, you know, I'm very far away from that. I'm just doing this. And I'm like, yeah, but you have, for instance, on the environmental side, this yes. is going to be a massive issue. ESG um, side of thing, environmental, social, governmental issues, um, how they're advising companies so they can comply with environmental law, they comply with climate change regulation, comply with massive number of new directives that are coming going to come out from the EU. So these are all really mm-hmm. important things. So I wouldn't, you know, I would say to people, don't be too dismissive of your uh, dismissive of your part in that process yeah. because you have a lot of power and influence too in your own particular field. Such great advice. Well, look. On well, Jesus, I don't know <laughs> if it is, but uh, sure, I'm just I'm talking too much as always. It is. I mean, it's so varied, and also uh, we mentioned as well the opportunity and uh, hopefully the growth in terms of pro bono work within some of the the bigger um, organisations as well, which we're already seeing, which is really fantastic to allow all practitioners the opportunity to get involved at, at all levels mm. with um, that type of work. So, look, thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much for having me. Joining, much appreciated. Joining us today in our studio. Um, we really appreciate it and we really will follow the work of your organisation and yourself um, with great interest over the next while and hopefully you'll join us again. Yes, uh, well I'd be happy to <laughs> anytime and I should I mention that that is an important thing to you. Thank you for saying that because I was knew there was something I was supposed to add that yeah, please listeners do have a look for us on yeah. Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. We will share it. You will share it. Do not Wonderful. worry. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, I'm not on Twitter as part of the problem. There you, there you go. <laughs> but I'm on the other three so it's easier. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. Much appreciated. No problem. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.